Hello everyone. Uh, my name is Wes Asmao. Welcome to another episode of Two Ways to Skin a Cat, a show where we talk about career experiences, entrepreneurship and investments. The main aim is to show that there's more than one way to be successful other than climbing the corporate ladder. A reminder that the show will be available on YouTube and on podcast by latest tomorrow morning. So if you're watching live, please drop a one in the comments so that we know we're not talking to ourselves and drop a two in the comments if you're watching the recording. So my guest today is actually normally talking entrepreneurship and investments and we want to show different ways other than climbing the corporate ladder. But my guest today is somebody who actually climbed the corporate ladder. So something different for the day. Uh, my guest is Fairuz Mohammed, a chartered accountant, uh, former associate director at a big four auditing firm, non-executive director on many boards, and currently the national chairperson of South African National Zakaa Fund, a national charity organization with over 500 employees, am I right? Or is it much uh, bigger no. than that? No, no, no. It's actually just about 127 employees with about okay. 27 offices throughout the country. Ah, 27 offices. So, so all throughout the country. She's also recently won an industry award. So congratulations. Oh, thank you. Paris, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, maybe to jump straight into the questions, tell us your story, where you come from outside of work. Who is Paris Muhammad? Give us that backstory. Okay, thank you always for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure to share my story with, with, with you and uh, your audience. So my story is not the conventional one. Um, I got married while I was in my second year of doing cost accounting. And I had my first child um, already in my third year. And I always wanted to raise my own kids. Thus, then decided to have another one. Um, and just to let you know that uh, the place and order um, as they, as they, um, as it gets delivered. But anyway, I decided to complete my degree at the same time, as I don't know. Clearly, I don't know what I was thinking, or maybe I just, I just wasn't at all. But anyway, I was even more crazy um, as I originally planned to complete my degree over four years by writing four papers per semester. And what I decided then at the beginning of my third year was that I actually was going to join the two years into one. So this basically meant that I had to write eight papers in June and eight papers in November. Uh, we won't get into as to how I actually got through that because I think that will take a lot of time. But I want to say was that what worked for me was that I asked for help. So um, I asked for family when they needed to help me babysit. Um, I planned everything, what time to cook, when to do the grocery shopping, and also when visitors couldn't come around. But more importantly, what worked for me was that disciplined outweighed the motivation. I was disciplined every day, although I wasn't motivated every day, and that kind of kept me going. Trust me, to all the ladies out there that's raising a family while studying, it's hectic, but persevere. If I could do it, then so could you, and it's all worth it in the end. Um, so anyway, I completed my articles at KPMG, continued as a supervisor, and then promoted to a manager, and then moved across to advisory, as it takes a very special person to become, to stay an auditor. And then in the advisory uh, capacity, I headed up one of the business units, got promoted to senior manager and then associate director. Um, and still today, I do believe that I think I had the ideal work-life balance life. I had a reduced working day and I could spend time with my family. But even that to me, something felt missing and I think I wasn't fulfilled. So when I had the opportunity to leave KPMG, I resigned. Um, and although at the time when I resigned, I actually wanted to study theology. But two weeks post my resignation, um, I actually found out that I was pregnant. Okay, clearly God had his own plan for me. 
But then unfortunately, I had a miscarriage. But then in God's infamous wisdom, the following month, I actually found out I was pregnant again. So not the very conventional um, route. So maybe now's the time to also mention that since I started studying, I actually volunteered for the nonprofit that you just mentioned, mentioned called SANSAF. And volunteering and helping them basically with their management accounts, I did their processing, supported their accountant with training, and just general finance matters. And I actually enjoyed it thoroughly. And it's something that I cannot explain. Giving your time was like giving of yourself. And I felt that that was something that I was privileged um, to do. So this continued through my articles. But once I qualified as a chartered accountant, I was then asked by the, the nonprofit to become a board member on the Western Cape uh, Regional Board. And I did this for three years. But when I resigned from KPMG, I then took on a national executive role where I got more involved strategically. And this is where I learned many of my boardroom soft skills. And I gradually progressed in the organization where I'm now the national chairperson. So in terms of my career now, um, with my fourth child that started school a few years ago, I felt that I had a little bit more time on my hands. You know, women are very multitasked and we can do many things at the same time. And because I actually enjoyed being uh, an NED, I decided to focus my efforts a little bit more in this field, And but I wanted to do something a little bit more formally. So I completed the certified director course at the Institute of Directors of South Africa. And thereafter, I did some additional courses to enhance my skills like technology governance, risk management, mastering board leadership. So currently, I'm an NED, and I serve on a few boards and uh, audit committees. And this is where I am today. Grateful that my blessings are bigger than my problems. No, so it's, it's not the, the normal story, definitely. It looked like it took, a, it took a few turns, but that's quite interesting. So just for the audience purposes, I actually first met Fairus when I was a young audit trainee. I was probably in my third month of, of, of audit. I think I was idle in office and they sent me to a department and they sent me to some government department. I can't even remember marine living, something like that. I'll never forget oh, yes, it. Because marine the, living. Yeah. Because the, the client accountant had this, like he was, he was very casual and he had this ponytail. I just couldn't take him seriously. Every time I had to ask him for something, like I looked at the ponytail and I was like, I can't take you seriously at all. So that was, that was quite interesting for me. And I'm going to ask you another question. Um, so, is there a story that you have from articles that you can share uh, uh, with the current audit, audit trainees they, that they wouldn't believe? The, the reason that I'm asking the question is because for me, it's the not having Google Maps. So when, when, when I was going to a new client, uh, I had to, we, the whole office had this one roadmap book and we have to all, I have to photocopy this one roadmap book and take pictures and then take a highlighter and draw my route and then figure it out and then drive there. No Google Maps, there was nothing like that. Or when we had to go to Joburg, we had to carry our printers with us. I'm sure they don't even do that anymore. Do you have any stories for us? Well, I think firstly, I think what's what's very obvious was the fact, besides the the copying of the of the um, the map and highlighting, was the slip of actually carrying all those audit files. I actually used to have one of those trolleys, you know, that the senior people have now, where they, you know, they go yeah. and buy the groceries. I literally had a trolley where I slapped up my laptop bag and my audit files, and I kind of just pulled that along with me because it, I think it literally weighed more than what I did, and and I think that's one of the things that these auditors today will never be able to experience because everything is paperless, everything is online, which obviously works today, but uh, then um, you either had back problems because a lot of people actually had to go for physio because the laptops were so heavy, so that's definitely one of the things that they won't experience that we had to go through. 
I think I think I was in in the pilot for for, for the first uh, conversion to the EO in my last year. So I wish I was there at the beginning, but uh, it's one of those things. And can you tell me maybe? I mean, you you you've got a, a career. You come to a, a good stage in your career. What's one mistake that you made that you can share with us that can maybe teach the audience not to make something a mistake similar? You know, when you've taken the route I have in that I attempted the SEMA route for three years and then decided to change career paths while raising two kids um, and oh, not to forget being a wife, that's an additional caretaking job. And then studying four years, um, doing a, a BCom degree and then two board exams during three year articles, I eventually got tired of studying. Um, and I think that was my biggest mistake. Um, and my advice to everybody is when you're tired, you know, just take a break or a breather. So when you feel you've had enough, um, don't stop and walk away. Sit down and breathe, but then continue to focus again on your self-development. Because when you want to grow, you actually have to plan to grow. It's not going to happen unless you plan it, because life just gets too busy. And in fact, life will always be busy, but it's never too late to be actually who you want to be. And I believe that you are, ex you are actually where you are um, meant to be in that it doesn't have to be the end of your destination. You just need to keep moving and keep growing. And what worked for me, and I think maybe what I can give advice to somebody else is get a mentor, somebody that can guide you, somebody that can give you some advice. And another thing is upgrade your company with people that has a, a similar uh, growth in terms of and learning mindset so that they can motivate and encourage you because that will actually help you extremely in encouraging you to, to move on and move forward in life. No, that's great advice. Uh, and, and just on that, that learning point, Something that, 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 that I've come to learn is you don't have to study another degree or do a CFA or do a, an MBA. There's lots of other ways to learn in, in the new internet environment. If you're interested in a sector, there's things online that are at, at no cost or low cost that you can learn just to upskill yourself. It's not all about the certificate. It's about growing yourself. So that's my little two cents. No, absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff is actually also on the job training. So, you, and a lot of things I think uh, are the skills that you learn are, are more soft skills that helps you develop in your career, that helps you develop as a leader or as a person that you won't necessarily just find from a technical qualification. So try and do a lot of soft skills, uh, leadership courses that can support your growth um, and enhance your skills um, as you move on the, the corporate ladder. Okay, oh, that's good. Uh, and just for, for the audience out there, if you do have any questions for us, please add them to the comments and we'll try to answer them towards the end. Virus, my, my next question is, when I looked at your LinkedIn profile, it seemed like you rose through the ranks quite quickly to associate director. Uh, what, do you have, uh, what advice do you have for someone who's looking to do the same? Okay, well, firstly, your quickly may not be the same as my quickly because I could have thought it <laughs> took quite some time. But firstly, I think what uh, what you need to do is you actually need to enjoy what you do. Uh, it's no use spending your energy um, on things that you don't do. But what I find is when you actually enjoy it, your energy and your passion comes through that. And life is just way too short to spend it um, not being fulfilled um, and it doesn't have any meaning in your life. So what worked for me was that I always did more than what was expected. And maybe because I did what I, I enjoyed what I did and it felt a bit easier. And I was told once that to, to be promoted to a job, you actually need to do the job before the time. And when you then apply for it, they have no choice but to promote you because you're actually doing it already. And I even remember once when we, when we KPMG took over Arthur Anderson and their first years joined, um, joined us while well, I was still the first year as well. And a couple of weeks 
later on, the one guy mentioned that um, he actually thought when he started that I was a third year. And I, curious, I actually I just asked him, why did he think that? And he said, he thought I was a third year because I acted like one. So that kind of just made made a quite testament to the fact that if you want to be promoted to a job, you actually need to do it already. And I understood early on that not to be limited to a job description. Always try to do more than what you can because as a first year, you're not expected to do anything other than bank and cash or fixed assets or payroll. But I think when I was already in my six months of articles um, and in the business unit that I was in, I was already doing financial statements. I was billing the client, collecting the client um, fees because I understood that you needed to move the hours to debtors, the debtors to cash as a normal business. And I think because of that, um, it made me very, I wouldn't say noticeable, but I think I was, I was doing very much more than what was expected of a first year. But what also worked was the fact that I had good re uh, relationships with people. I never took things personally. Um, my motivation or my goal was always to try and improve whatever I was doing. So if people were critical, I took it as a means of where to improve. Um, and I think what also worked was the fact that I always gave people the benefit of the doubt. And treating people with the level of respect that you want to be treated, I think, goes a long way. But I think from an NED point of view, I suggest uh, for anybody that wants to go and uh, become an NED, try and get on a board um, of a nonprofit, especially where their values uh, are in sync with yours, because obviously there's going to be a big clash if there isn't. And this would give you experiences that you may not necessarily gain in your current uh, job uh, where you're currently at. If I look at myself, for example, I may be strong in finance because of my CA background, and I never actually realized that I actually enjoyed HR, um, not knowing uh, in the beginning, but when I started getting involved with people and trying to develop them and making sure that they have certain rights, that the HR was actually an aspect that I, that I enjoyed. And from a marketing perspective, I actually never knew that I was a bit creative, but this gave me the opportunity to open that sort of creativity that was kind of, I wouldn't say hidden inside, but having always been in the finance background, I never actually knew that I could be creative. Um, and also NGOs are most conscious about money. So it gives you a lot of experience about cost management, how to utilize real limited resources effectively, as this is very high on the agenda. And if you want to have certain skills on your uh, CV, NGOs are, I think, the way to go in that they are weak and they sometimes have no governance. And this gives you the opportunity to develop some of those um, policies and internal controls that as a CA, uh, you obviously have uh, experience on. Most NGOs have business leaders, and this is where you get to know who's who, and it broadens your network and contacts, especially when they have events. And that's something I actually enjoy. I, I enjoy attending um, uh, events because I like meeting new people, and that's where I actually just broaden my contacts in networks as well. And with NGOs, um, even within it, there are disagreements. And this actually teaches you the skill of influence and how to persuade. So if there's anybody that wants to improve on their soft skills before they're actually going to a career of becoming an NED, getting on a board of a nonprofit um, guides you and teaches you those soft skills. Great. Oh, that's great. I, I like what you said about um, do more than, it, than is, is expected of you, but you're only going to do that sustainably if you're enjoying what you're doing. If you're not enjoying what you're doing, you're not going to do Absolutely. more than expected of you. So find what you enjoy first and then do more than yeah. what is expected of you. Also, and when you, you, find, a lot of when you enjoy, always, when you enjoy what you're doing, your passion comes through it. 
And yes. then people always say, you know, they don't, they need to find out what their passion is. If you enjoy what you're doing, your passion will come through it anyway. So that's one way of trying to find your passion. You, as a NED or non-executive director, you sit in a lot of boardrooms and I mean, as a chairperson as well, businesses in boardrooms in South, in South Africa are generally very male. How do you navigate that and try to keep the door open? Uh, and, and what advice do you have for, 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 for ladies specifically? I think promoting women you see that has the potential to better or senior positions is one way. And I also think by asking the question, why isn't there more diversity in the boardroom when you're sitting in the boardroom? Keeping it on the agenda and planning and executing on it. You know, always I'm guilty of this too, but women have the tendency to only apply uh, for the positions they know they can meet 100% if you look at that list of criteria. Whereas men only apply when they meet 40%. And I think it's because many times they, they know that you actually get on the job training. Okay, I'm not referring to a locum dentist here. You can't apply for a locum dentist if you have no dentistry um, experience. That won't work. But I think to the ladies out there, they need to surround themselves with people who want to see them grow, um, whether it's male or female. And from my experience, both in corporate um, as well as non-corporate, it's always actually been the male counterparts that promoted me. And this is mainly possibly because there wasn't any females around. Um, so maybe I'd like to tell the ladies as well that they need to find someone that they can also bounce ideas off on or even issues that they tend to find um, that they may be feeling frustrated with or there's an issue at work because somebody can usually guide them how to deal with this matter. I actually have a few people I can call on and it works for me to know that if there's something I have a problem with or maybe just need guidance, guidance on, you know, there's a few people I can call on. But I'd also like to say that, um, you know, there's a question to, to our ladies out there is that as women, why do we always have to find that we work a full day like our male counterparts, and then we come home, cook the food, see to the kids, do the homework, and get them ready for bed? The only thing I'd like to say is what happens is what we allow. Um, and it's no use we complain until um, it reaches deaf ears. But I think for the men out there, I think this is for you. It's been researched that women are less likely to divorce men who are uh, a bit more domesticated. I mean, I repeat just a bit. I'm not telling them to clean the whole kitchen and make up all the beds. So I hope my husband's going to watch this so that he can see that it's less likely for me to leave him if he actually starts being a bit more domesticated. <laughs> no, that, that, that's definitely, definitely a good one. In terms of the, um, I'm going to take that advice, definitely. I'm just thinking now in terms of um, you mentioned the, the 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 some of the can you mention can you talk a little bit more about the differences uh, and even the similarities between working in a corporate and, an, and a non-profit? Okay, having coming from the corporate to a non-profit, I think the first thing people generally feel is they're feeling quite frustrated because the mindset of the teams are completely different. There's a mindset that the NGO sector is very much more relaxed. Whereas when you come from corporate, it's very structured, very profit-driven. People do things um, more efficiently. Well, that's kind of uh, what, what the expectation is. And usually NGOs, they don't have highly skilled individuals. Um, and if you do, it's very difficult to retain them because you can't compare to the market salaries that people, are ten that people tend to be offered um, outside. And if you look at a nonprofit sector, the staff generally stay for many, many years. And in the corporate, they obviously move on because they're a little bit more uh, ambitious, so they tend to move on much quickly. Um, from a technology point of view, 
um, if there's hardly any, it's very less advanced compared to uh, corporate, um, and obviously because they don't have the resources. And a very common thing with NGOs is that there's usually a lot of burnout because an NGO is not an eight to five kind of job especially if involved with uh, projects uh, from a project point of view. If you look at the relief organization, um, it's a 24-hour job. If something happens in the middle of the night, you have to get up, you've got to see to the beneficiaries. There's not a, a response where you're going to say, sorry, I'll deal with it tomorrow morning when I get to work. So that's kind of one of the ways I find uh, the differences between an NGO and a uh, corporate sector. However, from an NGO perspective, I think serving humanity gives you purpose. It gives you meaning and it gives you fulfillment in life. And here I want to say is um, working or volunteering for an NGO shouldn't be the reason why for you to look for purpose because you already have purpose, whether you're a father or a sister or a brother or a mother, etc. you have purpose. I think what you're probably missing is just meaning and fulfillment in your life. So the advice I can give you is get involved in a community-based organization. Start small, just give an hour a month of your time. Soon you'll find that you'll be giving more than just an hour because I cannot explain what it does to you as an individual. And in fact, it does more to you as an individual than what it does for the organization. And when you start, you just can't stop. I mean, I've been involved with the organization for actually 22 years and I don't think I'll ever stop. Um, and I've been volunteering for them for 22 years. So even in, um, from the time I started capturing their books to the time of being a national chairperson, it's been a volunteer position. Um, and I think people generally now call it an unpaid professional position because it's you know, as a volunteer, we actually take it quite seriously. It's a job that I do. I just don't get paid for it. So it's not a mediocre kind of role that you take on just because you want to add it to your CV. You've got to give that commitment uh, to the organization if you want to add value and have meaning in your life. I want to go back to what you mentioned a little bit earlier about uh, especially uh, uh, women not wanting to 100% comply with the position before and, and, and men not necessarily doing the same. What interesting for me, the switch that I made, because I was I used to be a little bit like that, but then I realized by doing that, you actually, you, you self-excluding yourself, take, you're taking yourself out of the equation without giving the person the option to decide, number one. And number two, like especially for applying, applying for jobs, I've actually applied for jobs where the job description that they put out, it has actually nothing to do with the job description that they explain to you when you come to the interview. And by you looking at the job description and saying, I can't do this, I can't do this. If you, get, if you can get to that interview stage, you might actually find out that they'll teach you, like you mentioned, or oh, it's not really that big. It might seem big on a job description, but when, when they explain the job to you, it's like, oh, it's 5% of a job and it's not actually that important and it might actually be worth your time. So yeah, that's my, that's my little advice for anybody else who's also thinking about, don't, don't exclude yourself from the, uh, if you, you lose or you miss all of the hits that you don't take, if, 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 or all the chances that you don't take, let's put it that way. And I'm, Absolutely. I'm, I had a carry, sorry, carry on. Absolutely, always. And I think that what I think as women, like I said, we kind of go through the whole, and I do that too. Um, uh, I, I look at the list of criteria and I say, okay, you know, you need to have the specialist um, industry uh, knowledge. And I may meet 99% of everything that's on that list of um, criteria, and I miss the, the specialist uh, industry knowledge. Um, but if you look at it, a lot of people actually, if it's so specialized, there aren't many people that would actually be able to apply for the position. And um, a lot of the times they actually give you that on the job training, but because you have, you missed that one item, you think to yourself, there's no way I can do it. But at the end of the day is send in your CV, 
if they ask you to come for an interview, it means that you're competent enough to meet the job criteria. The what they actually want to do then just get to know in this in the interview is actually just the the fit of the individual of whether they can meet with the team. And that is, I think, where we kind of lose the focus in that we think that, oh my gosh, they're gonna ask us all the specialist um questions, and you go and study a whole one 24-hour short course on whatever the industry has. And I think you need to do the, the groundwork, but then you still lack that confidence in thinking that you actually, they actually need you more than what you need them. So, um, yeah, so as women, we tend to kind of uh, lose opportunities um, in that way. I didn't look through the, the comments and there aren't any questions. So it looks like we've asked, we've asked you all the important questions. From a, a, a last, is there any last uh, words of wisdom that you have for the audience or any advice? I think from a career perspective, um, appreciate where you are in your career or in your journey, even if it's not really where you want to be. And trust that it serves a purpose to ultimately get to get you where you want to be. From myself having a growth mindset, I think I can encourage people to have that growth mindset. Um, and there's no better way to grow and to improve and to actually seek people to ask you what you're not good at. And that's a way of improving, of moving forward and, and learning more things. And even as a professional, we need to be comfortable to say, I don't know, because we're human and we're not Google, when you need help, because success is not about one person. You need people to strengthen your team. And you also need to be able to say that I was wrong. Admit it when you made a mistake, but don't cling to it. Apologize, fix it, but move on. When you get stuck in that situation, I think that's when it becomes a bit of a problem. As long as you acknowledge the emotion, allow it to exist, and then find ways to move on. And then just lastly, I think be yourself. And you, as you don't need anyone's permission to be who you, who you actually are. That, that, that's, a, that's a great way to end. I don't think I can add any, any more than that. Fader, thank you very much for your time. Just a reminder to everybody that the, the, the show will be available on YouTube and podcast by tomorrow morning latest. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Two Ways to Skin a Cat. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, always, for having me. Take care. Bye-bye.